listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Now I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 6 this morning, and this is where we're going to spend our morning. And in John chapter 6, we find an incredible story, and we, we find really a, a Willy Wonka-esque type story and scenario. And so what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to read the first 15 verses almost as a bit of an introduction, and I want to make a couple of uh, general observations in the first 15 verses, and then we're going to launch into the last part of the chapter, and I want to make one main point and make three observations from that last part. But if you have your Bibles, listen along or follow along. If you don't have your Bibles, just listen, and the story will make sense. This This is one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all about Jesus and his life on this earth and ultimately ending up on the cross where Jesus dies on the cross for you and me, taking our sin upon himself, dying, being buried, but then raising, being raised victorious from death to life, and he's living today. And this story particularly, there's, such, there's, such, um, there's, there's so much in this story that, that should stir our hearts to love Jesus. Careful now, not as a means to an end, but as an end in himself that Jesus would be our end, that we wouldn't use Jesus as a a springboard for something else. So follow along. John chapter 6 and verse 1 says this, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And you, you can imagine, got this guy in town and he's healing people. You know, I mean, I'm sure in, in a crowd like this, we, we know, at the very least, we know people who are, are very ill. Maybe you are one of those people. You're ill. Imagine this, this guy walking into Cologne and he's spending time in the area here. And wherever this guy goes, he's healing people, like legitimate healing. And, and a crowd gathers and they're following him because, because he's actually doing something that is pretty significant. He's healing people from their sickness. Verse 3, Jesus went up to the mountain And there he sat down with the disciples, his followers. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, we we won't take time to talk about the Passover this morning, but it was a celebration reminding the Jews of their um, escape from slavery in Egypt. And that was a a yearly annual celebration, and that was coming up. Verse 5, it says, Lifting up his eyes, Jesus, then, and seeing the large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Philip was one of his followers, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And Philip said, uh, or sorry, Jesus said this to test him because he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him and said, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. Now, a denarii, one denarii was a day's wages. And so when Jesus asks Philip, Philip, where are we going to buy food for all these people? And Jesus did this to test Philip because Jesus knew what was going to happen. And Philip's response is, even if we had 200 days of wages amongst us, there's no way we would be able to buy enough food to feed everybody. And Jesus, um, sorry, uh, back up to verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they? For so many. And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there, were, there was much grass in this place. So the men sat down, about 5,000. 
5,000 men and, and maybe more other people. That's the men that were counted. So there might have been women and kids as well. So well, there might have been 10,000 people there. But 5,000 men sat down in this number. And verse 11 says, Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So, they also, uh, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. That's amazing. Um, it's, it's, uh, well, we'll keep reading. Verse 12. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Um, some of you are going to have Thanksgiving dinner today and, uh, or tomorrow. Uh, you know, growing up uh, and being a missionary kid, there were, there were times when we didn't have a lot of food in the home. That was just the reality of, of my life, and, and that's not in any way a... I don't feel bad about that. Don't feel sorry for me. But when we would have company over sometimes, my mom would pull me aside. I was a you know, growing teenager. And, and um, before the company would come through the door, she'd pull me aside and say, okay, Steve, we've got company. We've got limited amounts of meat on the table. So would you go easy? Take, you know, maybe let it go around first and then take a little bit and leave a little bit on the plate. Or potatoes wasn't usually a problem. Mom would make a lot of potatoes. That kind of, you know, that, that's the filler part. But the meat, go easy on it. This is not the story in this text here. The story is, eat as much as you want. Eat to your fill. And it says here that the people ate till they were full. Five loaves, barley loaves, probably not very, I mean, these aren't big loaves. This is a small loaf. This is a lunch for a boy. And two fish, probably not very big. And they all eat. And then Jesus says, now I want you to go around this mountainside or this hillside where 5,000 plus people are sitting and gather up the fragments. And this is what we find in verse 13. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now, um, had we put those five barley loaves and those two fish in baskets before this miracle, they would not have filled 12 baskets baskets. What does it tell us? It tells us that on that day, Jesus made bread and he made fish to the point that everybody had eaten as much as they wanted and they still had more left over than what they started with. That's an unbelievable story. And then it says, when the people saw the sign, because they saw it, it's like, how is this possible? We started, we started with five loaves and two fish and now they see the baskets being gathered, and I don't know what that looked like if they went up into the hill and then they brought them to the front, you know. But there's, there's 12 baskets full of leftover food. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Two quick, just two quick thoughts, and then we'll, we'll get on to the real text. I mean, this is, this is important. This is an important part of the story. But let me just make a couple of quick observations. No, number one, Jesus cares about you. He cares. I think Jesus' care for the people that day, when he saw the multitudes coming, and he understood that, that they were going to be hungry, I think his heart was legitimate towards these people. I think he really cared about their hunger, their physical hunger. I think he really had a, a concerning heart for them. Oh, he cared for their souls without a doubt, but he cared about who they were individually and what they needed that day. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9, we read that, that Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And, th and that word compassion in the Greek has this idea that, that his in innards were kind of in turmoil. They were, they were churning within him. 
So, so Jesus really does care about people. He really, and, and, and I would just pass that on to you here this morning in Kelowna. Jesus cares for you. He cares about you. He cares whether you're healthy or not. Doesn't mean he's going to heal you uh, on this earth, but he does care for you. He cares about our, our, our physical things. Um, the second thought that I want to just point out here is that Jesus will give you good gifts so that you would glorify God with them. God is going to give you, Jesus is going to give you physical gifts, good gifts right now, so that you would take those good gifts and by using those good gifts, you would glorify God. Uh, th- there's this idea that, that, that we, sometimes we separate the spiritual from the physical. We, we live a dichotomous life. We have our spiritual lives and then we have our physical or our our, our secular lives. And that's not at all the way the Bible paints the picture for those of us who know Jesus. There is no dichotomy. There is no separation. And so God gives us, he will give us physical gifts like good food or clothes to wear or nice homes to live in or cars to drive um, or, or good health. He gives us these legitimate physical gifts so that through them we would glorify God. Did you notice what happened after the people had eaten? Oh yeah, they were full, it says that, but they also glorified God. In the last part of of that um, section, it says when they saw this, they said this indeed is the prophet, prophet who came into the world. They glorified God, they glorified Jesus. You know, the... uh, the reformers got this right. They, in, in some reform churches even today, um, or, or, or some of the more uh, traditional type churches, they will take their children through something called catechism. And catechism is, is basically a, a, uh, a list of doctrines and questions, biblical uh, questions that are answered biblically or, or, or answered theologically. And uh, one of the standards of catechism is something called the Westminster Catechism. It was written back in the mid-1600s. And in the smaller Westminster Catechism, the very first question in this book, and, and this, so parents would sit down with kids and they would ask this question, what is the chief end of man? I mean, that would probably, even that question would have to be explained. What, is, what do you mean chief end of man? What is the main purpose? What's the main purpose for mankind? Answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So you've been created, and there's all kinds of theological, biblical texts to support this theological big idea that you've been created for God's glory, that you would glorify God. When, when we talk about glorifying God, we mean that we would make much of him, that when people see us, they would actually not see us, but that they would see, that they would see God, that, that we would kind of be like a conduit or a springboard when people observe the way I talk or the way I act or the things that I do, that somehow my life would, would, would be see-through. So people wouldn't see Steve Jantz, but they would see the God of Steve Jantz. And that we would glor- make so we make much of God. We, we shine the spotlight on, on his glory, on his majesty, on his splendor, on his greatness. That we would portray that to the world around us. That we would display his renown. Have you ever thought about the senses that God has given you? Once again, Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, yesterday um, my wife and I were at home, and um, we're having company today and tomorrow, and, and so she was making pumpkin pie. She, she was giving some pies away too, so, so she made eight pumpkin pies, two pecan pies, and a cherry pie. Can, do you know what our house smelled like? 
Man, I was sitting in the living room and, and my mouth was just watering and it's like, you need any help in there like to sample anything because I'm available. Um, have you ever thought about the senses that God has given you? Like smell or sight? I was driving down from Salmon Arm this morning or from Sunny Bray and the colors are more astounding this year, I think, than in the last seven years that we've lived here. I mean, they're just unbelievable. Uh, they're, they're, the, the oranges and the reds are just popping this year. It's, un, it's just beautiful. And, and we see this. Now, I, I need glasses so that I can see in high definition. But I mean, we see, I mean, high definition TV, you know, where, where you can actually follow the puck around on Hockey Night in Canada. It used to be, it used to be just all grainy and you could never see anything. And and, and we get to see color. If, if you're not colorblind, you get to see. Or if you're not blind, you get to see. You get to smell. You get to hear. You get to taste. Why? Why would God create us with these senses? You know why? 1 Corinthians 10. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, you do all to the glory of God. You eat something, put it in your mouth, taste buds. You taste something, why do you do it? So God gets glory. You drink something to God's glory. And God has created us with these senses so that, so, that we would, so that we would not just settle with what we taste, but that that taste would somehow, as a follower of Jesus, would move your mind towards him. So that somehow through your tasting or smelling or your physical experience, those things would move your heart towards God. Um, there's a song we sometimes sing. I'm sure you've sung it here. It's called, um, How Great Thou Art. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder, listen to these words. This Swedish writer of this song, Carl Gustav Boberg, understood the idea of our senses being used for God's glory. When I consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the air, in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and see the brook and feel, that's another sense, right? You got, you know, nerve endings. And feel the gentle breeze. What then? Then sings my soul. What? How great thou art. He understood this. He understood the idea of using our senses, the things that, that, the way that God has wired us in order to bring glory to God. And so Jesus feeds these 5,000 people. It's unbelievable. He feeds these 5,000 people, and at the end of it, what do they do? They glorify God. Who is this God? So, so friends, here, Kelowna, Harvest Kelowna, you should eat Thanksgiving dinner differently than an atheist. You just should. You should taste differently, you should smell differently, you should see differently. So that that big dinner feast, and, and boy, we have it so good to be able to feast every once in a while. We shouldn't feast every day. Feasting's not for every day. But when you feast today, when you celebrate today or tomorrow, that somehow you would use those senses for God's glory. So that's my introduction. Let's carry on. The, there's the, and this leads me to the, to the main thought, the main thought here. Now, let me just, before I give you the main thought, let me just say this. Jesus never made any mistakes. I don't think for a minute the feeding of the 5,000 men was an accident. I don't think that somehow he, he was doing this out of rhythm or out of random selection. Today I'm going to feed the 5,000. Tomorrow I'm going to do this. No, this was all sort of combined into one primary emphasis. 
Jesus knew that by feeding the 5,000 people, the next day there was going to be a greater story told. And so I don't think for a minute it was done in a vacuum or by itself. There was nothing that Jesus did out of mistake, even though he had legitimate care. Now here's my main point or the main lesson I want you to see today. And it's going to be on the screen. Jesus gives us good temporary gifts that bring temporary satisfaction in order to give us a small taste of satisfaction so that our hearts would long for and desire full, eternal, and lasting satisfaction, namely Jesus himself. He gives us temporary um, satisfactions. Like eating a Thanksgiving dinner, if you don't know Jesus, awesome. Even if you don't, like Thanksgiving dinner does not just taste good if you know Jesus. Thanksgiving dinner is great if you hate God because the food is great. But God gives us these small satisfactions, these little glimpses of what it means to be satisfied. They're temporary. They're never long-lasting. They're never eternally lasting. They're small satisfactions that would somehow stir in my heart and in your heart this desire, I want to be satisfied fully. I long to experience full satisfaction. And it's not going to happen with Thanksgiving dinner. It's not going to happen with a new car or a bigger home or a nicer vacation, or a new relationship. All those things are temporal and temporary. But God gives us these temporal, temporary satisfactions so that our hearts may actually start understanding that I need a eternal satisfaction, an eternal satisfaction. So there's three observations. Pick it up in verse 22. Now, between verse 15 and 22, just on a side, Jesus walks on water. We, we don't have time to look at that, but but the disciples cross the Sea of Galilee. Jesus doesn't get in the boat. Instead, he meets them on the water. He walks across the water and gets in the boat. And there's another miracle. It's not the only miracle. The minute Jesus gets in the boat, the boat is on shore. That's another miracle. But we pick it up in verse 22. And it says this, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near that place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Let me just stop there. We'll carry on in a minute. Here's my first observation. Every human being is desperate to be satisfied. Every human being is desperate to be satisfied. Every person in this room, every person in Kelowna, it's the way God's wired us. We long to be satisfied. And this, this little story, the next morning when they get up, Jesus is not there. And we, we've already read why they were following Jesus the, the, the previous day. They were following Jesus because he was healing people. Not only at this point now had he healed people, he'd also fed them. And so there was this longing in their heart, I, want, I need to be satisfied again. I want to be satisfied. And so they, get it, they, they actually get in the boats and they head across the water. As a matter of fact, this cry of every human heart, feed us or we die, satisfy us or we perish, is so deep-seated in our hearts and in our lives as human beings that we will go to ultimate lengths to be satisfied. So many places, and which brings me to my second observation, that we are prone to look in all the wrong places in order to quench this intense and penetrating thirst and hunger to be satisfied. So often we look in all the wrong places. Now, let's pick it up in verse 25, and you're going to see this. It says this, 
When they found him, Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus saw right through them. He knew exactly why they had come across the lake. They, he knew, and this is what Jesus says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. I fed you yesterday. I was delivering the goods yesterday. And you've come across, you're looking for me. That's why you've come. Do not, and then he says this, do not labor for the food that perishes. He's trying to make a point here. The point is, six hours after you've eaten Thanksgiving dinner, guess what you're going to be? Hungry. How's that even possible? I saw how much turkey you ate. I saw how much cranberry sauce and potatoes. Like, you went up three times, and six hours later, you're looking for more. It's like, Mom, where's the food? I'm hungry. Crazy. And Jesus is saying to these guys and these, these people who are looking for him, you should be pursuing food that doesn't perish. You should be you should be pursuing something to satisfy you that is not temporary or temporal. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his sights. So, so Jesus, and, and this, these guys are so, they're so conniving. They're so, they're so manipulative. Watch, watch how they respond. They know that Jesus is veering away from food now. And he says, you should actually be, be striving for something else. And they say to him, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him. He was saying, believe in me. That's what he's saying. Whom the, whom the father has sent. And so they said to him, this is the conniving. This is the, maybe we get another meal out of him. They said to him, then what sign do you do that we may believe? What work do we perform? Our fathers, hint, hint, ate the manna, hint, hint, in the wilderness as it is written. That was a good sign. Maybe, Jesus, you could do a sign for us today again because, you know, we're kind of hungry. We're looking to be satisfied. Looking to be satisfied. It's going to be temporal, but it doesn't matter. Our sights are low. That's really the, the issue here is that they set their sights way too low and they were looking to be satisfied for the next few hours. Jesus said in verse 32, then, I, then Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And then Jesus says this, and we're going to get there. That's my third point. But let me just stop here for a minute and talk about this sense of looking in the wrong places. It, it probably wouldn't take you long uh, to, uh, if, if you think about this, maybe in your own life, but even in your neighborhood, just look out the window or sit in your driveway and look at your neighbors and look at the kind of things they're pursuing in order to be satisfied. And maybe you don't need to look very far. Maybe it's your own life as you just take stock on this Thanksgiving day and oftentimes in our family, we'll just list some of the things that we're thankful for, man. We have a list of things to be thankful for, but the question that begs to be asked this, at this Thanksgiving is, am I looking to be satisfied with these temporal blessings? Is that my pursuit? Is that where I'm pursuing to find my ultimate satisfaction? And, and all over Kelowna and the Okanagan and up into the shoe swap where, where I'm from, people are looking to be satisfied and they're looking in so many wrong places. 
And it's always temporal. It's always temporal. It never truly satisfied. That's why there's all kinds of religions in this world. That's why people try harder at sports and relationships and family life. Why? So that they, maybe they'd be more satisfied if they try harder. It's why people engage in humanistic hedonism. You know what I mean by hedonism? Finding pleasure at all costs. If it feels good, do it. Entertainment and exotic cars and larger houses and bigger toys and nicer wardrobes and better vacations and more time off. And on and on and on we could go. And some of these things in and of themselves aren't even wrong, but, but they're totally wrong if all of a sudden I'm looking to, be fi- to, to find my ultimate satisfaction in them. And then it's why people turn to things like drugs and booze and, and elicit unrestrained physical pleasure. They're looking to be satisfied. That's why people become addicted to all kinds of stuff. And our tendency is to look in all the wrong places. And then Jesus comes along and he says, you're looking in all the wrong places. And here's the third observation then. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So you're hungry. He's looking at these, the crowd of people and he's saying, you're hungry. I fed you yesterday. As a matter of fact, To make a point, I took five loaves and two fish, and I said, eat till you're full. That was the point of them eating till they're full. Like, like this story wouldn't work quite as good as if if they all had a nibble. It's like, well, yeah, but we just had a nibble. We'd like more. No, no, no. They ate till they were all full. So they come back the next day and say, Lord, we want more. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will will not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Temporal satisfactions, they last only, even if you take your full, even if you, if you go to the extreme and, and, are, and it's temporal it, and it's satisfying, but it's short-lived. And that's Jesus' point. And, and then Jesus goes on, if you skip down to verse 40, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should, live etern- should have eternal life and I'll raise him up in the last day. And, and, and he goes on and talks about, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my follower. And at that point, People are thinking, he's, a, like he's promoting cannibalism. And it says a lot of disciples left him towards the end of the chapter. And, and, and then Jesus says, are you also astounded by what I'm saying? And he says, I'm speaking spiritual things. I'm not talking about physical life. As long as you live in this human body, you're going to have to eat. You're not going to eat so much this Thanksgiving that's like, I think I'm done for eating for the next year. Not going to happen. Tomorrow morning, at best, maybe on Tuesday morning, you're going to wake up and say, I actually need to eat something. As long as we're constrained in this physical body, these temporal things that we need for our life, we're going to need to have. But the point is that if you really are looking to be satisfied by temporal things, you're always going to come up short. And Jesus says, if you come to me, I'm going to give you something so satisfying that you're never going to hunger again. I'm going to give you something so satisfying that you're never going to thirst again. And it's himself. It's Jesus who offers himself. I'm the bread of heaven. And, and not just any sort of old, boring life. Understand this. There are some people who sit and look at Christianity and say, I would never do that. That's just boring. Really? It's boring. Well, then, you, first of all, you don't know Jesus, number one. He's not transformed your heart. But secondly, did you notice the analogy that Jesus, that, the, that these people looking for food make between manna and how Jesus picks up that manna motif and says, Moses, they said, Moses gave us manna, and Jesus said, it wasn't Moses who gave you manna, it was God, and not only does God give you, the Father give you manna, he gives me, you, me, 
which is ultimately going to satisfy. But do you know what manna was like? Any idea? I mean, manna was this food that the people of Israel ate for 40 years. And I guess you'd maybe get tired of it, and they did, and then God gave them some quail for a time, and they got sick of that, and they went back to manna, were thankful for manna. But in the Bible, we read that manna was, was uh, it was like coriander seed, white, and taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So this was not just sort of bland, tasteless white powder that the people picked up every morning. It actually had flavor, and it tasted good, and it had coriander flavors and honey, and it was like a wafer. So God even cared for his children in the, in, the, in the wilderness for 40 years by giving them something that was not just bland. And, and, and Jesus does not offer a bland life. He offers a full life. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. Now, the word abundantly means overflowing. These things I've spoken to you, Jesus said, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So here's the deal for you and me. If you don't find Jesus enticing and satisfying, one of two things is the reality. Maybe you don't even know him and you need him and he's calling to you today. And if you do know him, then you have settled. You've begun to settle for temporary things that are going to pass. And you're setting your sights on things that, that are distracting you and they never, ever fully satisfy. It could be an 80,000 speedboat on, the Okanag on Okanagan Lake or a brand new home. I'm going to tell you right now, in 10 years from now, 15, 20 years from now, it's not going to be as valuable to you as it is now. Why? Because it's temporary. It can happen in your life. It can happen in my life so easily. For those of you who know Jesus and he is your treasure, guess what? This is so un unbelievably beautiful. If God in his sovereignty would choose to strip you from all temporal blessings, take away your health, take away your home, take away the things that you find joy in, legitimate joy, springboards to glorify God. If God chooses in his sovereignty and in his perfect will to strip you from some of those temporal blessings, if Jesus is your treasure, guess what? Your joy will still be full because you still have him. You still have Jesus. You don't need these other things to find your joy. And so this thanksgiving at the top of your list should not be, I'm thankful for my family. You should be. I'm thankful for the freedom in our country. You should be. I'm thankful for the home that God's given me. You should be. But above all else, you should be thankful for Jesus Christ because he is the bread of life. And if you've tasted him, anything that can come your way, anything can be stripped out of your life, you will still find your joy and happiness in him because Jesus will never be stripped from you. He will never be taken from you. I will never leave you, Jesus says, nor forsake you. And here's, it, here's how it all comes together. And I'm going I'm to start landing the plane here now for you guys. Not that communion saves. Understand, uh, do you, I'm sure you guys do communion from time to time here, maybe midweek. I'm not sure what that looks like for you. We take a little piece of bread and drink the cup and it's a remembrance. You know, Jesus, remember, can you remember what Jesus said that night before he was betrayed? It says, and he took bread. He took bread. That sounds familiar. I am the bread. Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's a beautiful, symbol, that's beautiful symbolism, beautiful imagery of coming to Jesus and believing in him. And on the cross, Jesus secures for each of you who trust him alone your justification 
so that in God's sight you are today forgiven and declared righteous. He secures for you your regeneration where he gives you a new heart. He secures for you reconciliation where you are brought into his presence. And that is no small thing, to be brought into the presence of God. My, my all-time favorite verse, I've already quoted it here more than once at Harvest Kelowna. Psalm 16, verse 11. You've made known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's why reconciliation is so important. That when you embrace Jesus, when you come to him, when he says, I'm the bread of life, whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, when we come to Jesus and we embrace him as our life-giving bread, our soul-satisfying bread, we say, Lord Jesus, what you did on the cross 2,000 years ago, you did for me. And I'm trusting you alone. I'm putting my faith in you alone. I'm turning from all of the other things that I've been depending on to, to bring satisfaction in my life. I'm turning to you alone and I'm trusting you to give me satisfaction, to be my bread. He comes and he lives in your life by his Holy Spirit. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. So for those of you who are here this morning and know Jesus, you're a believer in Jesus. You've come to him. You've embraced him. Can I ask you this question? What are the things that you're pursuing right now that are replacing Jesus as your ultimate satisfaction? You need to answer that question today. What are the things that you're pursuing that are actually replacing Jesus and it's not doing it for you? It's a daily battle. There are a myriad of things that are vying for my affections and are promising satisfaction. Those are lies. They promise satisfaction, but they never deliver. And every one of those things that is vying for my affections is lying. Only Jesus will be my ultimate deliverer and satisfier. And if you are pursuing, brother, sister, you know Jesus this morning, and you're pursuing other things, can I just urge you, along with my own heart, I'm not, I'm not preaching, actually I'm preaching kind of up to you today, which means that I need this today. And I ask some of the guys to pray Lord, that this would be my life, that I would confess quickly to him today the things that I'm pursuing to find joy and satisfaction and that I would thank him for all that he's done on the cross for me and that I would purpose in my life today to fight the battle of desire that I would desire Jesus above all else. And then there might be some here this morning on this Thanksgiving weekend, you've come here, maybe you've been coming regularly, but you, you've never embraced Jesus, you've never come to him yet. You still don't believe, you've heard, you believe here, but you've never embraced Jesus as your life You've never turned from your other satisfactions. Can I just ask you these questions? What's holding you back? Why wouldn't you come to Jesus? He's offering himself to you. What are the lies that you're believing today that would hold you back from coming to Jesus? Believe that the work he did on the cross for you will truly bring joy and satisfaction and peace in your life. So come to him today. Trust him today. Turn to him today. Embrace him as your life-giving, soul-satisfying bread of life. Gee, uh, the psalmist says this in Psalm 107, verse 9, and I'm going to close with this. He, God, satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So, Lord, we need your help with this. These are wonderful words. These are words of life, but I know in my own life, so many times I begin to settle for the temporal things to bring satisfaction. And so I pray that Harvest Kelowna, the people here who love you, would strive to find their joy and satisfaction in you alone. That the temporal gifts, the rightful temporal gifts, the Thanksgiving dinner that's going to be had today or tomorrow, 
would simply be springboards to remember all that you are for us, that you are the ultimate satisfaction, that these temporal things don't satisfy. And for those who don't know you here this morning, that this weekend they would truly be thankful as they come to you and embrace you as their soul-satisfying bread. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.